Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. We have an Olympics focus this week ahead of the London Games beginning next week and hear from New Zealand Chef Commission Dave Curry and Bike New Zealand's High Performance Manager Mark Elliott. The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic hope it's third time lucky when they contest the final of Netball's Trans-Tasman competition in Melbourne this weekend and we try and weasel a few secrets out of Team New Zealand's America's Cup design camp. The New Zealand athletes have begun arriving at the Olympic Village in London this week, ahead of the Games' official opening ceremony next Friday. Dave Curry's the chef de mission for the New Zealand team and is responsible for making the village a home away from home for the athletes over the next three weeks. This is Curry's last Games in charge, having also headed the team in Athens and Beijing. He spoke to George Very about the organisational task. All the organising committees I've dealt with, uh, you have a sense of, uh, of trust in what they tell you. you know, Sebco has done a great job, ex-athlete, focus has been around the needs of, of athletes, and it's impressive. The village is certainly the best village that I've, uh, I've been in, not only is it finished and operational, um, but it's just got a nice flow about it, and it's just the spaciousness and green and grass and trees and whatever, it just, it just has a good feel. One of the things about Beijing was we, we had equestrian out at Hong Kong yeah, and different yeah, parts yeah, around yeah. around China. We've got a little bit of that in yeah, London yeah. with the sailing in Weymouth yeah. and football around the UK, but it feels quite inclusive. Yeah, they've done a good job. You've got the uh, the village and then the, the main the complex, the Olympic Park, I guess. You've got the aquatics are there, you've got the main stadium there, you've got hockey there, you've got basketball there, you've got uh, you know BMX and the velodrome. So a lot of the sports important to us are right next door, so that's going to make a real difference. Yes, we've got sailing in Weymouth, um, but inevitably that's what happens, and the rowers are eating Dorney just a little bit out as well. But our equestrian team, it's at Greenwich Park, you know, right in the centre of London, it's just amazing. Triathlon is uh, in the middle of Hyde Park, you know, swimming in the serpentine and all that sort of stuff. So they've done a good job showing off, I and mean, then the uh, marathon and the cycle road race is around the centre of London. So they've done a really good job of getting centralised and tight and showing off, you know, and, and London's a fantastic city. And I think they've tried to make the most of that. The weather in London has been below average. I heard Greenwich was underwater. Eaton Dorney, the spectators, it was, was underwater. We want Eaton Dorney to be underwater, but not where the spectators are going to be. So I guess we've got seven days of fine weather to dry it out and, and get it set up. Otherwise, those venues will be a little bit sort of teetering. But I guess you get that from a, a high up northern hemisphere sort of games. You are going to be troubled by the weather at different times. So it's just a level of, of managing that and, and expecting those things to happen. Yeah, one of the things, it is a reality. I mean, everybody says that it's you know worse than they could have ever imagined. There's not too many events. You mentioned Equestrian, Greenwich Park. You know, if that's really soft underfoot, I'm not sure what they do. One of the good things, though, and I think the characteristics of New Zealanders, we're pretty resilient. 
and athletes, um, our athletes, I think, are more likely to adapt to difficulties and changes than most other countries. And one of the things we take pride in as a nation, I think, is that kind of the number eight wire, well, let's just get on and get the job done. So, um, yeah, we'd like some better weather, but if it isn't as good as it needs to be, uh, I think we'll cope with a better than most. As far as your legacy is concerned, because I guess in a shift to mission you go through a process of how long you can be involved with the games, and one would think this this may be, may yeah. be your last one, but yeah. I guess you're, from an outside looking in, you're very renowned for uh, team and culture and, and everyone banding together and, and those harkers, that sort of stuff. Do you enjoy that bit? Do you still think that that's a really necessary part of, of what London will be all about for Kiwis? Yeah, we talked about a lot, you know, with athletes after every games is creating it's two things we want to do. Be strong and secure who we are as a team, understand and respect where we're going, um, and create an environment that let athletes perform. And so we test ourselves and you know, is what we're doing, you know, have a strong physical environment, welcome people into the team, make them feel part of that wider wider group, does it make a difference? And athletes continue to tell us that it does. You know, we've worked really hard on the New Zealand part of the village, that is no doubt. You're coming to Aotearoa, London, when you come to that part of the village. And we welcomed the, the equestrian team, and these are guys that have been to seven and eight Olympics. And they still want to be drawn into you know, something bigger than just an equestrian team. So they tell us that yes, being part of it does help. And clearly, the most important thing we talk to ourselves and I talk to the team about a support team is first thing is do no harm. Acknowledge that sport come with their own culture, their own way they do things, and don't get in the road of that. So we're really conscious of that. But then if we can wrap an envelope of support around that just you know, kind of connects them in a, in a different sort of a way, the feedback we get is that makes a difference. So yeah, we uh, will continue to do it uh, post me, not sure. But now it's become it's got embedded into the culture somewhat. That when teams come in, they expect it. They expect to have it in a New Zealand environment where we are. They expect to be welcomed in a way that welcomes them into this group. And the sense is that we're going to respect and support one another over the next while. So good or bad, whatever it is, we're at. And uh, we work really hard. And athletes say that sense of a strong, secure environment where they feel confident and relaxed in is, uh, is, is helpful. You touched on Aotearoa London in, yeah. the, in that comment, and, and it is that because the, the Mark Todds, the Andrew Nichols, almost yeah. the whole of the equestrian yeah. team, and there's, 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 there's people right throughout the team, and, and I guess we look into the, the Paralympics as well, a little bit yeah. further on, the Tim Prendergast, all those guys, they're based in London. Yeah. This is their home, yet they, they are Kiwis. So this is as close to a home games as they're possibly ever going to get. Yeah, close in Sydney, I think. Yeah, people said Sydney was a home games, but you know, we've got the tension there with our Australian cousins. But we are, you know, culturally and our heritage and so many New Zealanders, uh, you know, trace their links back to, to this place. And just finally, Dave, New Zealand, 10 more medals, tips us over the yeah. 100 mark. Is there an emphasis on that in any way, shape or form, or, or maybe even an underlying sort of knowledge that that's, that's available? And, and I guess on that note, can we get there? Yeah, no, never mention it. Winning medals has to be a better process, and um, and athletes you know, commit all that time of their lives. And more and more in New Zealand sport now, you know, a medal will take care of itself. If you haven't got, if you haven't trained well, if you haven't got a plan, if you haven't committed and trained and done all the things you can, it's not going to happen. Now, clearly, every athlete wants to win a medal, 
So all the athletes are talk to now, it's about having the perfect event and a medal will come out. I'd be disappointed if we don't get a 100th medal uh, and believe we could do a lot more. But the focus is going to be provide an environment for the 23 athletes who have put themselves in that position to get them over the mark. Now, if they do, it's up to, you know, it's due to, you know, the commitment and effort that they've done. Now, if that happens and we end up with, you know, more than 10 medals, most medals we've ever won is 13 in Seoul. Most gold medals is eight in uh, LA. So that'll kind of take care of itself. Uh, but I think high performance sport is far better focused. Athletes understand that process more. And I think they aren't getting ahead of themselves. They, we try and create an environment that's calm and very focused, but calm and enable athletes to do come in. They've got a plan, do what they've got to do, and we'll celebrate it uh, on, the, on the 13th. That's the New Zealand Olympic team's chef de mission, Dave Curry. New Zealand cyclists are among our up-and-coming athletes on the international stage, and Bike New Zealand sending its largest ever contingent to an Olympics with 22 riders. Fifteen of those athletes will be competing in the track events where New Zealand has won all four of its Olympic cycling medals. Bike New Zealand's high-performance manager Mark Elliott is in London, and Barry Guy spoke with him and asked him about how the team's final preparations have been going starting with the track riders who have been at their base in France for the last couple of weeks. Exciting to see the guys and, and the girls in final preparation phase. They're really, really enjoying the, uh, the environments in, in Europe and Bordeaux. And just, um, you know, the weather there is absolutely fantastic. Beautiful weather. We've got a great base and the guys are all going through current, um, you know, final training preparation and they're all in great form. So very exciting and they're all looking forward to being in London next week. I suppose if you look at uh, you know the pursuiters and actually the uh, like the sprint squad as well, I mean you you would call them not sort of certainties for medals, but they're on the fringes. How do they feel about just being sort of so so close or considered to be so close, rather? Well, it's a good position to be in. You know, I don't think any athlete ever feels an Olympic medal's just there for the taking. It's all about um, you know really applying yourself, and they've they've come through now over the last two months. Really, that hard work that. You know, it's that, that investment, that money in the bank that they've they've really put upon themselves over the last two months. And and I guess the exciting thing is just just looking at them all, they're all in you know, amazing shape. And you, you just know that you know the last two months the hard work's been put in, and now it's really about delivering. And I guess um, what we're looking for is making sure they deliver to their full potential. So you know, if, if they do that, then the medals will come. It's not about um, you know knowing that, uh, that they're too far away or that they're um, that, that it's just a given. And the London Velodrome, you've had a World Cup event there or something, didn't you? Yeah, we did have a World Cup in February. Got a real feel for the, the events and the, the whole you know, environment there, and it's um, a fantastic facility. It's noisy. It's, it's a very low roof. Every, anyone who's been to Velodrome, you know, generally is a very high span. This one goes the other way, the way they've designed it. It's a very low roof, which makes the, the acoustics incredibly noisy, which creates an amazing environment. So, yeah, I've just actually been there today, just... Um, Done a little bit of work with uh, one of the TV stations, and, and you know it's uh, it's looking fantastic and uh, very warm in there. Um, I have to say that the temperature um, sort of blew me away because it's not not a hot day here in London today, but the velodrome was sitting at well over 27 degrees. So that's going to make for very fast times, and it's it's going to be able to, you know it's going to be good to be able to give that feedback back to our, our guys down in Bordeaux. If we go on to BMXs, how are they doing? Yeah, we've had um, we've had a couple of our young guys doing some fantastic preparation in the states, and, and Mark Willis has um, been winning races races in the USA. You know, not Supercross events, but still 
tactical and technical events that you really have to put yourself on the line. He's going very well. Sarah Walker's currently preparing in um, Papandale in Holland, which um, you know is a, a track that's being based on the Olympic discipline. So, you know, some very very good um, you know, preparation work for her, and then they build into um, you know Copenhagen for a for a final um, build up to London. So that, they've been going very well, and and uh, you know looking at the the facility, the the, the BNX facility is right beside the velodrome, so you get a feel for where that's sitting and. Uh, Things look to me like uh, it's um, really ready to go. We're just um, looking for some nice blue sky in London. And you've got experience there, so that, that'll count at this Olympics again? Yeah, well, first time for, for BMX at, um, in Beijing and, you know, very young athletes and, and Mark Willis and Sarah Walker, but, you know, really they've grown from that. And you know, Mark is an exceptional athlete. We've always known his full potential and, and we're just looking forward to seeing him unleash that here in London. Sarah has certainly grown in the last four years, and, and we know what she's capable of. She's an incredibly right, an incredibly great rider, and, and um, you know, we're just wanting her to do, make sure that she um, you know, prepares herself, and which she has done, and, and then deliver on the day. And and, and a mountain biker, how's uh, she going? Yeah, yeah. Karen's um, leaving New Zealand, uh, left New Zealand the last couple of days, and she um, heads out to. Um, He's out to spend time with Aldezir at altitude, so she's got a World Cup there. So, very different build-up, you know, for someone who's, um, you know, actually going and doing a World Cup build-up race while the Olympics has actually started it on. So, you know, Karen's um, running things, uh, you know, very individually, and and will come into the village late because you know, mountain biking is the last on the agenda for us. So, uh, but she's um, certainly um, doing some great work at the moment. She's got a good altitude preparation, which we know will um, will work for her well. So, uh, she's got a um, She's got a, a very exciting, and I guess the thing for her is that um, you know she's, uh, she's she won't be known in the in the mountain biking circle. She's only really started to come perform, so great opportunity for her to um, you know really just come in as an underdog. And the roadies are busy doing other things. <laughs> well, yeah, Greg Henderson's very busy. He's a massive day in the mountains today in the Tour de France, and um, you know he's got a, a very key role to support his um, his, uh, his points and team race leader um, Andrew Greipel. So. You know, Hendy's certainly developing probably the biggest base out of anyone at the moment for the Olympic road race. Um, Jack Bowers just come off a very successful tour of Poland. He's uh, rode exceptionally well there, had a, had a top eight finish the other day in one of the stages, so we know he's in great form. And Linda Willemson's just come off the uh, women's Giro d'Italia, so um, she's in great form and has been training with one of our coaches at Altitude in Lavinia in Italy and um, is going exceptionally well. So they're all in great shape and um, certainly putting in that, uh, that last hard effort that's required for an Olympic preparation. That's Bike New Zealand's High Performance Manager Mark Elliott talking to Barry Guy. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic are hoping it'll be third time lucky when they contest the Trans-Tasman Netball Final against the Vixens in Melbourne on Sunday. No New Zealand sides managed to win the title in the four previous years of competition, while the Melbourne side could become the first team to win the title twice. The Magic appeared out of title contention earlier in the season when they lost their first four games, but they picked themselves up off the bottom of the competition ladder to qualify for the playoffs, winning their last 11 games. I spoke to Magic defender Leanna Debrain and asked her whether the fact they'd got there twice before and failed to come away with any silverware was playing on their minds. We actually haven't gone there, but, um, you know, I think it, it is time, and we've been fighting since round four, so we know how to fight, and I believe it's going to be no different, and we just have to fight our way through it again. 
how different is this magic side to the one that played the Vixens in that round four game? Because it's ironic, isn't it? That was actually your last loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we've definitely um, obviously got a set starting um, seven, and that definitely helps just to, to have that continuity in the team. And, um, you know, everybody knows their roles now, and everybody's fit there. We've got no injuries, and... Um, it's just another game that we have to win, and I think that's our, been our philosophy since that um, round four, and it's been working for us. So, can you put the change in form down to anything? Because to, to go from that four-game losing streak to now having won eleven on the trot, is, is there any sort of magic bullet? <laughs> no, no. I think everybody, you know, went home and just really looked at what they can bring to the team and everybody just had to step it up. And I think, you know, credit to everybody. They they went home, did their homework, and we started working on things together. You know, it did take a while um, for combinations to work out, especially like the likes of me and Casey. Um, you know, she just got off um, injury and we kind of play the same game and we just had to learn to um, complement each other and... You know, it, it did, did take some time, but it's just there's just a different feeling in the team. And like I said, we've learned how to fight, and we're fighting for each other. And I think um, that's pretty unique to have in the team. You must have quite an amount of self confidence and self belief having won those eleven games on the trot and, and turned it round in situations where you were obviously behind in, in many games. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, we know we can do it. Even if there's only two minutes left, you just never give up. And we've proven that twice in a row. Um, and there's no reason why we can't do it again. Um, but hopefully, you know, the plan is not to get in those situations again. <laughs> what are you going to need to combat the, the Vixens? Where, where are their strengths? Oh, look, they've got strengths all over the court. I think Diva Mentor has been having an amazing season and um, they just typical Aussie real hard one-on-one defence and they never give up um, I think probably where you could look at them maybe is um, the inexperience in the shooting end um, but I don't think that's actually hold them back at all and at the end of the day um, it's who's going to play the smartest and I suppose who wants it the most um, there's not a lot um, that you can pick out out of their team because I think as a unit they just absolutely play so well together and you know they're obviously quite a tight unit as well and it's really hard to pinpoint single players out. Bianca Chatfield's made the comment I don't don't know if you've seen them but she talks about that experience that they've got on the shooting end saying that she thinks you and Casey Williams will try and intimidate them. Yeah obviously we're going we're gonna to try and intimidate you whether you're young or old it doesn't matter you know but um, yeah I think we especially for me and Casey, we're just focusing on, on what we do and what we know our strengths are and how to combat what they've been doing. So um, we didn't really look at it as an experience or, or in that sense. We just um, try and go out there and obviously make life really hard for whoever the shooters are. It'd be nice for a New Zealand team to finally win the title too, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be absolutely amazing. I think, you know everybody's been talking about it and it's kind of like everybody wanted the All Blacks to win and, you know, it's, I, I think it's pretty, not quite up there, but it's pretty close to it and, yeah, I think everybody's just desperate to, for that cup to come to New Zealand as well. Does it get tired hearing hearing that? That <laughs> no New Zealand team's won? Does, does that get tiring? Oh, I don't really listen to it too much, you know. I just... Um, 
like I'm tired of them having it all the time as well. So hopefully we can can change that. But it's, it's definitely a big motivation. You know, you just gotta um, like we've all seen. Once we get off that court, and you know you're just giving it your all, and hopefully the results will will go the way. Um, you know, for the the hardworking and deserving team, so that would be awesome. Playing in Melbourne is it any tougher than playing at any other away venue? No, I personally love love that crowd. You know, it's just amazing. It doesn't get any bigger than that, and for, especially for netball, um, it's such an amazing feeling. And you just got to soak up the the um, environment really, because it doesn't happen very often. And um, what I like best is we if we get the or when we get the crowd quiet, um, that's just an amazing feeling. Because obviously there's so many supporters, but you know we've got a lot of supporters going as well. And um, yeah, I love playing there. It's just an amazing feeling. I was talking to the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic player Leanna Debrain. Now the Melbourne Vixens coach is Julie Hornvig, and she was in Auckland earlier this week on a spying mission when the Magic beat the Northern Mystics to earn their finals spot. I asked her if she'd had a preference for who they came up against. None at all. They're both very talented teams, and they both have their own strengths. So, um, and we had some plans about how to do that. So, um, yeah, bring on Magic. They've won 11 on the trot, but the last time they had a loss was against the Vixens. Does that give you any encouragement? Uh, Not particularly. That was a long time ago, and they're a different team, and we certainly are too. So it'll be a game never played on... um, past results, it's played on how they come out on the day, so we will need to be playing very good netball to beat them. What are their particular strengths, or which areas do you think you're going to need to to focus on if you are going to achieve a second Trans-Tasman title? Certainly the shooting duo of uh, Van Dyke and um, Julianne Nupau are certainly formidable. They've been together a little while now, and so it seems to be be having a sort of a sixth tense about where each other are on the court. Uh, Langman in the centre is... (laughs) an outstanding centre court player, probably one of the best in the world, and then the defending duo. So there's some, there's lots of talent out there. You mentioned that you're not the team that, or that you've moved moved on from that round four game as well. Where do you think you've developed in particular this season? I don't think there's one particular area. I think we've probably got seven really quality players that play very strongly as a team. So I think our strength comes from being team players, and um, I, there really isn't a weakness on it on the court. Has there been any particular focus this week as you, as you look to the final, or have you tried to keep things the same? Oh, we've very much kept our training regime the same as it's always been, and the focus. Uh, we did a bit of work on some of the sorts of things that Magic will uh, will play in there, some of their structures. But the final training will be all about us, making sure that we concentrate on our strengths and we play the game the way that um, we think we play best. Now, the Magic have been, what, three times, or this will be the third time they've been in the final, but they don't seem to be able to to crack it. Do you think there's an element of choking there? Absolutely not. It's a different team than it's played before, I think. Um, no, certainly not. No, I think they've, yeah, as you say, they've had a lot of wins on the trot. They'll have a lot of confidence, and um, there'll be no holding back. They'll, they'll bring their, their best game out against us, and as I said before, we'll have to play very well to beat them. Bianca Chatfield's made the comment about how she expects Casey Williams and Leanna DeBrain to, to try and intimidate. What do you do to try and overcome that? Well, first of all, you have to know that's what they're doing and um, be mindful that um, what your job and your role and your responsibilities are and, and how you best do those and then just keep a calm mind and get on with the job and and um, not let that interfere with what you're trying to do. If you try and change up your game to, to counteract some of the things that they're doing, you don't become who you you are and you don't play the best way that you can, so we'll be pretty much sticking to our game plan.
Did you find it worthwhile coming across for, for that match the other night? You've, you've, come, you've come away with some, some good information, have you? Oh, yeah, it's just good to see what they do off the ball. Because the television only shows you what's happening as the ball's travelling down the court, but you need to see off the ball where they come from, what they do before they actually uh, arrive at the ball, and perhaps some of the combination work and set-ups away from what's happening. So, yeah, a little bit of understanding, and but Magic are playing pretty much um, as they have the last couple of weeks, so there was nothing new in their game. But, um, as I said, very quality quality players that uh, certainly know how to play the game and what's probably been good for them is they've played two tight matches now and have come out on top so we'll need to be um, putting some scoreboard pressure on them. How much of an advantage is that knowing that I suppose you, you get yourself into a tight situation and having the confidence that you can get out of it? Well there's two teams that have done that this year ourselves and Magic so um, there'll be a fight to the end I would think uh, they they believe that they can still uh, find something extra at the end, and so do we. We believe that um, we've been able to do that most of the season, so it'll be an interesting bat. Have you been able to put your finger on sort of what turned their, their season around? I mean, to go from four straight losses to 11 on the trot, was there, was there anything in particular that you've noticed from the outside looking in? They seem to have confidence to let the ball go, and that um, early in the season they weren't. They were still struggling, I think, with combinations. They moved people around a lot um, early, and it just takes a while to settle and to actually know when to let it go and what's happening. And I think once they decided on their lineup, then it's just settled and they've developed from there. The Melbourne crowd, how much of a, a part do you expect that to play? A huge one, I hope. That's um, certainly going to be in our favour, having our home, home court and our home ground advantage. That was interesting, I thought, against um, the match when we came over on Monday night, that Mystics really didn't get a home ground advantage because there were just so many magic people there and... They all travelled up to the match, so in a sense they lost that advantage. But um, I think over here we will certainly be the, the larger of the number and have the loudest voices and um, hope all of their energy and the excitement um, wheels us on. I was talking to the coach of the Melbourne Vixens, Julie Hornvik. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. The launch of Team New Zealand's first America's Cup catamaran this weekend is about more than just a racing yacht. The 72-foot catamaran with its giant wing sail is the product of one of the most high-powered design teams in the country. The design work on this boat is also being shared with Italy's Luna Rossa in a technology-sharing deal, which is worth an undisclosed sum to Team New Zealand. Nick Holroyd is the team's design coordinator and he told Todd Noll that as well as producing the boat, their design influence has also had an impact elsewhere. It's migrated into, into strange places. We, I've helped uh, Fisher & Paykel, for example, model ovens uh, using exactly that technology. So it's been a great thing for New Zealand, I think, that uh, we keep this not only in the marine sector. We uh, were fortunate in this uh, cup round to be in the marketplace pretty early in terms of personnel and so we sort of augmented our design team in two ways. One one was sort of specific multi-hull experience for, for this project uh, and that's been absolutely cr critical but the second one is also to, to sort of broaden our technology base and a couple of guys that sort of stand out in that regard I guess who bring great things to this country uh, Dan Bernasconi who uh, is an ex-head of vehicle dynamics from McLaren Formula One um, and he runs our velocity pr prediction program which is a really sort of central part of the physics modelling of, of the yacht. Another guy is Len Imas who's uh, associate professor of ocean engineering in the Stevens Institute in New York 
you know, the, the wing's been an interesting design problem, but in many ways, you know, there's some great technology out there because of the aerospace industry to, to tackle that problem. You know, very much we've needed guys out of the sail design industry and in the, in the sail aerodynamics kind of side. And then we've, uh, again, augmented that. Um, we've got a guy, uh, Hal Youngren, who uh, was involved with the uh, Skunk Works and the, and the early uh, stealth bomber type stuff. So it's been really fun part of the project to kind of link those uh, pieces of the puzzle together and, and, and try, try and create a cohesive whole. Aside from the specific project, does, does any of that flow out into the local marine or design industries? Does, does any of that stay here? A good many of our, you know, particularly mechanical and uh, engineers and so on, uh, do move into local industry. You know, Fisher & Paykel has been a beneficiary of that. The New Zealand team that uh, you know, created the cuddle class seating, etc., used some of our design engineers and, and our boat builders and, and so on to mock that up and model it up and so on. So. Those skills obviously stay in the, in the, in the local pool and uh, those guys are you know, they're, they're great hard-working individuals. In terms of the design and the technology grunt in this project, how big a step up is it from you know, the last time around? It, it is a big step up. It's an evolution that's been happening in the 15 to 20 years I've been in the, in the industry of certainly you say up until really 2007 our uh, design process was uh, very much based on physical modelling so, so towing tank tests and, and, and wind tunnel tests. You know, my background is, is more on the computational side and, and that has been the evolution of, the, of sort of naval architecture and engineering in general. So we now model all our hulls and, and appendages and wing uh, computationally. Um, We've, I think, tank tested three models, probably uh, run numerically several hundred. You know, the huge uh, requirement for compute horsepower, and uh, Dell obviously came on board to help us out with that. Uh, uh, us and us and Weta probably have the largest uh, privately owned compute systems in this country. We've gone from around, you know, sort of 18 to 20 design staff uh, in 07, up to I can probably count 33, 34 people, and not all of them full time. Putting any modesty aside, how would you rate the, the expertise and the level that this design team is at with, with any others that might be around the country in other industrial areas? As I say, you know, associate professors, uh, three or four PhDs, I would like to think this is, is a very, very talented group. Um, it's been recruited very internationally. You know, the America's Cup has been great for New Zealand in that if you took the you know, 10 teams in Valencia in 2007, Probably across those whole 10 teams, something like 35-40% of all employees would be Kiwis. And so we have not only the guys that we've brought up internally through here, but guys that have been offshore and been through other teams, been through Lingi, been through uh, the German challenges, etc., are now you know, back in the fold, as it were. Um, and so we, we have a, a huge uh, base from which to, to be able to choose. And so you know, I think we've put together a very talented team. That's Nick Holroyd, the design coordinator for Team New Zealand, talking to Todd Nile. And even as the new 72-footer begins its first trials, the team has just finalised the design of a second boat, which next year is expected to be the one the team will sail in pursuit of the Cup in San Francisco. That brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. If you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 